You know, I'll never forget summer of 2005. I had just graduated from seminary. I was so excited about finding a local church where I could serve Christ with. But there was just one slight problem. There was no local church who wanted to call me to serve them. And, I mean, to be fair, a 26-year-old seminary graduate with no experience, it's not like there were churches lined up to call me to serve them. For me, it was kind of a challenging time to, to see the fact that I want to provide for my family, and I had been working selling mobile phones, and the company I was working for was going out of business. And so I had this, this dual problem of I had to provide for my family, I was about to lose my job, and I had just graduated from, from, from seminary, and I was trying to find a position to serve Christ in, and God kept closing door after door. I became very worried. And my worry even escalated to anxiety. And I had a lot to learn. And God was working through these circumstances in that summer to teach me about overcoming anxiety. And today, as we continue in our teaching series, A Journey Through the Psalms, a series called Uplifted, we're going to be considering this very same topic of having a secure heart, so overcoming anxiety. We've been working through the Psalms to learn how we can have emotions that are truly godly, how to have transformed emotions, and how we can cultivate even our feelings to be in such a way that they are glorifying to God. And so today we're looking in Psalm 91 as we consider how to have hearts that are truly secure and that are not anxious or fearful. So Psalm 91, verses 1 through 16. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands it will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Will you pray with me? Our glorious Father, we are humbled that we can read the very words that your Spirit inspired so many years ago that resonate in our souls today. And we would pray that these very words, that they would reverberate in our souls and that they would 
come back out of our hearts, through our lips, as praise to you. May we live lives that reflect your indescribable beauty and glory. And we thank you for giving us this psalm. And as we look at it together this morning as a faith family, we pray that you would help us to not simply hear it, but that we would be gripped by these truths and that we would live lives for your glory as a response. We praise you. We ask for your blessing this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. This psalm is incredible. This psalm right here describes someone. We don't know who wrote it, don't know the context, but we do know from reading it is that the psalmist is under attack. He's experiencing great distress. So that we know from just reading the psalm itself. All of us can feel that way. All of us can feel worried. Maybe some of us are more wired to just worry a lot more. But even if you're not a worry wart, so to speak, all of us can experience worry from time to time. And worry basically is just these feelings, these emotions of being uneasy or of being troubled. But worry can be escalated to anxiety. Now, anxiety and worry are the same basic emotion, but anxiety is a little bit more intense than worry. So anxiety has, along with it, mental and emotional distress. But even anxiety can be escalated further to fear. And if you think about it, worry and anxiety and fear are all the same, at its essence, the same emotion of feeling troubled and uneasy about what might happen or what is happening around us. But when talking about the full escalation to fear, it's worry and anxiety on steroids. Fear can be crippling. Fear can be paralyzing with this uncertainty of what is happening or what might happen. And so if you've ever felt fear, then you know firsthand that it can just leave you feeling powerless and helpless and frozen. And so let's let's look at this psalm and let's see what God's Word says about how we can overcome worry and anxiety and even fear. Let's define the main idea. So the primary truth from Psalm 91 that we just read. So here it is, very simply, is that God is the only true source of security. That's what we just read. Is that our God in heaven is the only source, the only true source of security. Now maybe you're thinking, well, how is it that you're talking about anxiety and fear, and you're talking about security, so how are those two connected? Well, here's the answer. When you feel secure, the feelings of worry and anxiety and fear will evaporate. If you're sensing any of these negative emotions, at the root is you're not feeling secure. I'll give you an example. If you're in an open field for whatever reason, and then all of a sudden, just quickly, a storm hits, and it's, it's a really frightening thunder and lightning storm, and you're seeing lightning striking all around you, would you just hang around in that field? No, you would run. You would run where? You would run to the closest place that you can find that looks to be shelter. You want to get away from this open field, and so you would run. And the moment that you got in the shelter, the feelings of fear would instantly evaporate. You would stop feeling afraid. Why? Because now you're secure. Now you're safe. And so feelings of fear only arise when we're not feeling safe or secure. 
So security makes anxiety disappear. Same thing if you have small children. If you have a, a small child that is frightened and is in tears and he runs to his dad and his daddy holds his son, all of a sudden the sobbing begins to stop. Why? Because that little boy being held by his father is feeling secure. And so now the fears begin to dissipate. And so this is how God has made us with a need to be secure, and we can only, according to the Bible, we just read it, feel secure in God. And so Psalm 91 here describes running to the shelter of God's character. Running to this refuge, this safe place of God's character. So if you're here today, and you're really struggling with feeling worried about something, if you're worried, or if, if, you, if it's gone a step beyond that, so you're really anxious, or if you're just flat out fearful, wherever you are on that continuum, there is a solution. There is hope. We must focus our minds and our hearts, our soul, everything that is in us on everything who our glorious God is. You must not focus on your circumstances that can be really scary. Focus on the very character of God as seen through the person of Jesus as revealed to us through His Word, through the power of His Spirit. We're focusing on His character. If we run to the shelter of His character, then you will feel secure. And I can assure you, even if the circumstances don't change, and oftentimes they don't, you can still be secure and have joy and peace in Christ. And so let's look at this psalm together as a focus on the character of God. Now, by the way, this psalm describes God in many different poetic, amazing ways. We'll look at it here together. But I see kind of three primary movements in this psalm, which gives us kind of the major headings to get your minds around how God is described here. So what we're looking at here is how we are secure in God because of who God is. So we're secure in God because of who God is. So let's look at these three primary characteristics of God. And so these characteristics of God in this psalm give our souls safety and security, which will push away the fear. So the first characteristic of God is the power of God. So number one, the power of God, being secure in God who is powerful, will help to dispel the worry and the anxiety. You see it in verse 1. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And so this psalmist yearns to be aware. He says he wants to dwell in the shelter of God. Now, the literal language there is that he wants to set up camp. And so this dwell means to pitch your tent, to set up camp right next to God. And so he's saying, I'm done looking anywhere else. I have found the spot where I'm going to put my tent down and I'm going to be secure right here, right next to God. I'm done looking elsewhere. I've been there. I've done that. I've tried to look for security in other places or in people and it's just not working and I want to dwell. I want to live right next to God. I want to be so close to Him that I'm in His shadow, He says. I will abide in the shadow. 
So you can't be in someone's shadow if you're far away. So to be in someone's shadow means that you're right up next to him. Just like whenever I walk into my home, you know that there's this long corridor from my car to my, my door. And the sun is so hot, I'm usually walking right up next to the, the wall where there's a little bit of shadow because I don't want the sun to be hitting me. Sometimes it's ridiculous because the shadow isn't even big enough to even cover me. But there I am, like, against the wall, trying to get whatever shadow was available, and I'm, like, butt up right next to the wall. I'm in the shadow of it. That's what we're supposed to be, is wanting to be so close we're touching God, we're right next to Him where His shadow is covering us. Pitching our tent, dwelling right next to Him. And so Psalmist here is finding absolute security, being close to God, because God is powerful. You see it here. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Just think of this language in these two short verses. He calls God Most High. So he describes God, God most high. There is no one higher. There is nothing higher, nothing more powerful. He alone is God. He stands alone and is in complete control of my life and of yours. He says most high. And he says almighty. He calls him almighty. So God is all powerful, infinite in his power. You can't even begin to measure or even contemplate. He's almighty. He calls him my refuge. Refuge is a safe place. So he's running to this refuge, protection. He wants to feel protected. He calls him my fortress. A fortress is like a castle with really, really thick, impenetrable walls. Sometimes the word here is stronghold. When the enemy attacks, you run where? You run to your stronghold. You run to your castle where you can close the door and the thick walls protect you from the attacks of the enemy. And so he is running to the castle, these walls, my fortress, and so God is protecting him. And he says, my God in whom I trust. He says, my God. He calls him Lord in the same verse. Lord is a personal name for God. Yahweh, his personal name. The word God is Elohim. That's the more general name, the word for God. He calls him here Yahweh, personal, Lord, and he says, my God, my personal one. He knows God personally, and he's trusting in his power. He is the great I am. There's only one God, and his power is immeasurable. And so today you have to know and you have to believe this. Hear me. You have to know and you have to believe this today that our God is bigger than your worst fear. That your God, my God, our God is stronger than your greatest enemy. That our God is higher. That our God truly is wiser. That our God is greater. That our God is able. We make God too small sometimes. We ought not do that. He's really big. He's our fortress. And no matter what happens, no matter how frightening circumstances might be, we can't forget that he is more powerful 
and he's truly in control of our life's circumstances. When we truly meditate, contemplate, let these truths sink in deep. What happens to anxiety and to fear and to worry? They begin to evaporate. And we forget this. All of those negative emotions will come flooding back in. So it's so easy for us to focus on things like our job or our hobbies or our investments or our spouse for a sense of security. And so all of us will run to some refuge, some fortress, some God for refuge. All of us do it. That isn't even the question. The question is, where are you running? What refuge are you running to for security? It ought to be God. It ought to be Jesus himself that we run to for our security. Because he alone is all powerful. He alone can keep your soul safe and secure. Looking at three characteristics of God that give our souls absolute safety and security. The first one is the power of God. second one here is the faithfulness of God. And so, yes, he's powerful, absolutely, indescribable, infinitely powerful. But secondly, he's also faithful. If he were just powerful, but he didn't care about you, well, what good would that be? But he is powerful, and he does love you, and he is committed to you. He is faithful. You see that in verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. So it's kind of some big words that, well, I don't even know what we just read. I'll, I'll explain it to you. First of all, snare refers to the word trap. So snare is a trap. So trap of the fowler. Now the word fowler first, to bird. In the original context, this right here referred to someone that was setting a trap to capture a bird. And so that's what's called snare of the fowler. And so what the imagery here is of a hunter that is stalking his prey. A hunter who is setting up a trap to capture what he's trying to capture. And so right here with this language of, of this snare, the psalmist is describing he feels under attack. He feels like he's being hunted. The enemy is coming after him. The enemy is gunning for him. He's feeling under attack and under pressure from the enemy. And he says deadly pestilence. Pestilence refers to plague. And so what you see here is there's just some sort of circumstance. He's feeling attacked, like he's trying to be trapped by the enemy, and it's life-threatening, it's deadly, and he's equating it to a deadly plague. And this is serious. What he's going through is very troubling to him. But in the face of this, what does he say? He affirms God will deliver you. So we have to cling to God's promises, that he promises to deliver us. The enemy is not more powerful than God, and so then whom shall we fear? We ought not fear anything. Verse 4 continues. He says, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. You're like, what's a pinion? Again, in Psalms you have parallel. So the second line usually helps you understand the first one, because it repeats it. Pinions refers to the outer part of a bird's wings, including its flight feathers. And so it's talking about the wings, the feathers. And so it's using this figurative language 
thing that you are covered by God's wings, feathers, and you are under his wings, so there again, this parallel is repeated, you will find refuge. So he's using the, the parallel, again, the imagery is poetic. God doesn't actually have wings and feathers. He's spirit, but this is just imagery to help us understand what God is like. He covers us. He protects us, much like a bird would protect her baby chicks with her wings. So this is talking about God's faithful protection of his people. And God really loves you. I was talking to my wife this week about this very truth. We both were being honest and confessing to each other, saying, you know, a lot of times, like, we can say God loves you and believe it. God loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and you can say it with confidence. God loves you. But then I look in the mirror, and I say, God loves me? And I think, nah, I don't know. God loves everyone else far more than he loves me. And uttering the word God loves me it doesn't come off the lips quite as easily, and it's harder to believe than God loves you. But it's true that God loves you. You, the person sitting in that seat that you're in, in the Emirates Park Zoo. God loves you. And maybe it's worth you in your mind saying it to yourself, God loves me. He delights in you. He enjoys you. He made you for his pleasure. You exist for him. That's why you exist, to know and to enjoy God. He made you in his image so that you can be a reflection of his beauty and his glory. And he made a way with Jesus dying on the cross. He loves me and you. And he promises to protect us, to cover us, and we find refuge, his children under his wings. Second half of verse 4, he says, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Like, I don't know what a buckler is. Well, first of all, the word shield. The word shield here, some translations have the word bulwark or rampart. Now, the reason is the word shield in the original, this refers to a very large shield, usually one that you couldn't move. A large shield usually a defensive wall like on a castle. And so this is part of the word fortress, and it's very closely related. So this word shield is big. So, I mean, I like Lord of the Rings. I don't know if anyone else likes that, but I like whenever they're, they're in Helm's Deep and, and they're being attacked by all the orcs and they have all of their walls. It's awesome. I love it. Seeing good defeat evil. And they have their walls that are thick. That's what this is describing shielded wall to protect you from the enemy. So shield is large. And then a buckler is a small shield. It refers to a small one that would go on either the forearm or maybe had a handle that was used by a soldier when he would go into battle. So he was holding his sword in his right hand. On the left hand, he would have his buckler, his small round shield for defense on the battlefield. And so he's saying, God, you're my big shield. But you're also my small, transportable one. When I go out into battle, I have protection from the enemy. And so he's using this amazing language to talk about God's faithfulness. Because what does he say? His faithfulness. God's faithfulness is your shield. 
You're protected from the attacks of the enemy. You're protected from fear and anxiety and worry. You're protected by God's faithfulness. And so we run to the shelter of God's character and that He is powerful. And beyond that, He is faithful to you and me. He is good to us even though we do not deserve it and could never hope to earn it. He is so faithful. And you hold on to God knowing that He's holding on to you so much more tightly than you could ever hold on to Him. And when you remember that God is faithful to you, it's a shield that repels worry and anxiety away. And it continues describing more of this in verses 5 and 6. You will not fear powerful. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. When you're focusing on the faithfulness of God, fear begins just evaporate from your soul. He says, you will not fear. He says, day and night, you can trust in God. Hold on to his promises because he is faithful. He says, Terror by night. And so horrible things that can happen. There's terror. And then he says, the enemy's attacks, arrows coming at you, but you have your shield, so you're covered. The shield of God's faithfulness. And then he says, pestilence, this plague, this evil, this sickness that stalks by night. So he's like personifying evil, saying it's looking for you, it's stalking you. Like evil wants to get us, and Satan, who was a very real enemy, is a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. And this is the imagery here. He's stalking. He wants to destroy us even in the daytime. But here's the thing we have to understand, that God is faithful. And so the enemy, with all of his arrows and seeking to destroy us, is no match for our shield that is God's faithfulness. We are overcomers. We can have victory over our temptations. We can have victory over fear. We can, but not by ourselves we can. We can with the shield of God's faithfulness. If we'll abide in him, if we'll let these truths sink in deep, our hearts can be so troubled by the future. Like many of us that worry, a lot of times we worry about tomorrow. Of, oh no, I'm not saving enough for my kids' university. Oh no, I'm not saving enough for retirement. Oh no, I won't be able to buy another car whenever this one breaks down. Oh no, I'm not going to be able to, whatever, and the list goes on. And our minds get so filled with anxiety over what's going to happen 30 years from now, and it may never even happen. We don't even know. We trust the God who holds tomorrow. That's what we read out of Matthew 6, earlier in the worship gathering. Brother Bud read to us, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Jesus tells us, don't worry. Don't worry. Trust me. I hold tomorrow. Don't worry. You know, when you, when you think about unbelief, because he says there in Matthew 6, 30, he says, oh, you have little faith. When we think about, where does this come from? Where does, where does anxiety come from? You know the source, really, at its root, the source of anxiety? Unbelief. Oh, ye of little faith. 
You don't, you don't trust me. And so at the root of all of our anxiety is not believing God. When we fail, we can all do this, when we fail to believe that God is for us, that he will take care of us, that he has our future in his hands, and that he's in complete control, he's for us, he's with us right now. When we forget that, we are giving in to fear and anxiety. We can't forget that he loves you, he will deliver you, he has made a way. 1 John 4.18, powerful, he says, there is no fear in love. Listen, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So God's perfect love for you pushes away, it casts out fear. As believers in Jesus, we ought not live with fear. This whole series talking about anger and loneliness and guilt, all of these various emotions we're looking at all summer, we don't have to live with those. We don't have to live lonely. We don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to live with anger. We don't have to live like that. We don't have to live with worry. We don't. God's perfect love casts out fear. So we trust him. Knowing and believing that God is, first of all, all-powerful, and second of all here, that he is faithful, will push it away. Verse 7, he continues, he says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. The enemy will not have victory over the people of God. We have the victory because God is faithful. Verses 8 through 12 describe more of this same theme, that God is sovereign, that he gives us victory. Verse 11, I love verse 11. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you all your ways. So our God commands armies of angels. He is so powerful and yet so faithful to us that he even sends his messengers, his angels, to protect us. And I don't fully know how that works. The Bible doesn't describe a whole lot on how angels protect us, but we know that they do because God's word tells us so. And we see it right here, that he sends angels to protect us from the enemy, which is absolutely stunning. And in verse 13, he says, You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And so this is, again, a very poetic imagery he's using here. This is a poem, after all, how we have victory in God, how he is faithful. But this verse is also prophetic. It is pointing to what Jesus would do on the cross. And we have to contemplate this every day. We have to focus on the absolute stunning glory of Jesus. And the more that our hearts focus on Jesus, the more that we're moved to love him, to trust him, and to obey him. Every one of us, left to ourselves, before we knew Christ, every one of us has been, or maybe even today you still are, enslaved to Satan. You're enslaved to sin, and really to your own self. We're enslaved. Which is why God, the Father, in his infinite love, sends his eternal Son, Jesus, the God-man, to come down from heaven to pay the redemption price, to pay the price to liberate slaves. And so he paid the price 
on the cross, we just sung it powerfully of how Jesus paid it all. How all of our sin was on his shoulders. How he endured our shame and our guilt. And he defeated sin and Satan and death on the cross. Because he died in our place, but he was powerfully resurrected. And so he has victory over the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of Satan is now defeated. His days are numbered. And we now belong to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light, and we have victory. And Satan is described as a serpent, that serpent of old from Genesis chapter 3. And he's described in 1 Peter 5 as a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. And here you have those same two images of the enemy being a serpent and a lion that is trampled under the foot of the people of God because Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. He's defeated that evil lion. We don't have to be afraid anymore. He's defeated. He has no power over you. We give Satan too much credit sometimes. Yes, he can tempt us. But we don't have to give in. We don't have to. We can live in victory. We can. He says, the lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. This is powerful, and it points to the work that Jesus would later do. And now we can see in the rear, 2,000 years ago, what he did for us on the cross. And so we see a God who is all-powerful. Number two, a God who is faithful to us. And number three, third characteristic, we see the nearness of God. Power of God, faithfulness of God, the nearness of God. He is close, verses 14 through 16. It says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The speaker changes. The, the voice moves from the psalmist now the last stanza here, God is the speaker. So there's a change of voice here. And so this is God himself speaking. He says, he hold fast to me. I will deliver. I will protect. And so this is God speaking. This is God coming down, being close. He says, because he, his child, you and me, he says, because you hold fast to me, hold fast to me in love. And he says, you know my name. So what you see here is God is saying, because I know you personally, you know my name, and you're holding fast, you're holding on to me in love, and I'm holding on to you, but you're also holding on to me. Because of this relationship that we have, God now makes eight promises. This is the nearness of God in your life and in mine. He gives eight promises in these verses. And when you are feeling afraid, you have to run back to Psalm 91 and reread it and reread it and reread it and meditate on it. And if so be it, memorize it and focus on these verses. Here's God's promises to you. He says, I will deliver you. He says, I will protect you. When you call, I will answer you. I will be with you when you are in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. I will fully satisfy you. And I will show you my salvation. This is hope. This is what we are. 
People who have experienced the mercy of God who are ambassadors who tell others, your God is false and you're trying to do all of these religious things to please Him and your soul's not satisfied and I have living water. It's not mine, but I know where it is. Come with me and take a drink. And you'll have your soul satisfied, he says. I will satisfy you and I will show you my salvation. We are people who proclaim hope. This is what we are. We're the light of the world. We're a city on the hill that we're supposed to display God's hope for the nations. First we have to taste it and then we can share it with others. Our God is so glorious. He came down. He came near. He's right here. I'll be with you when you're in trouble. I'll protect you. I'll deliver you. I'll honor you. I'll satisfy you. That is true security. This is a picture of a child that is so secure in his father, he's not afraid of anything. He's secure. No one needs to be afraid. But where is your security? Are you holding on to these promises? He says, I'll be with you. And he says, I will show you my salvation. It belongs to God. Jesus came, died on the cross, paid the price for your sin. But unless you respond to him, unless you say, God, I agree with you that I'm a sinner, forgive me. I repent and I turn to you. I give you my whole life. My complete trust is in you alone, Jesus. Unless you respond with complete faith and repentance, then these promises do not apply to you today. But they can if you'll turn to him with all of your heart, then these are your promises and he'll be your God. And he'll satisfy you and give you the hope that we're talking about and singing about this morning. You know, worrying accomplishes absolutely nothing. Like we realize this, right? That worrying doesn't help. It doesn't change circumstances. It doesn't change your wife or your husband. It won't change your kids. It won't change your finances. Worrying really accomplishes nothing. But it does do something. You know know what worrying does? What anxiety does? Anxiety leads to other sins. Anxiety is like a bridge that you can cross over anxiety and go into other lands of other sins. And so I'll give you an example. If you are anxious, have anxiety over your finances, you know what you might do? It, It might lead you to greed or it might lead you to coveting. Now, now you're guilty of anxiety, but now you're also being greedy, and, and now you're coveting. More sin is compounded now. But like, let's suppose that you are anxious over a relationship. Suppose marriage or whatever it could be. Suppose you're very anxious over it. Well, that could lead you to wanting to control the other person or, or to manipulate your spouse. Well, now you're sinning against him or her even more. You're compounding it trying to manipulate and control. Suppose you're anxious over how someone does not respond to you. Suppose you have to go to someone to have a conversation, maybe a hard conversation, and you're really having a lot of anxiety over this conversation and how someone might respond to you. Well, you might be tempted to lie or to manipulate or or to cover up some truth so it might go better for you. And if you would just give that to God and not be anxious over it, then you'd be more open to speak truth and not hide things. 
And so if we can draw near to God and run to the refuge of His character and really focus on this truth every day and overcome by God's help anxiety, it'll help us to conquer other sins too. It's all connected because that's who we are. We're complicated. We're complex beings. God made us that way. It's a good thing. But we have to understand that everything in us touches everything. Our thoughts, our emotions, our words is all connected. In conclusion, as we close, spending time with your all-powerful, always faithful God who has come near to you, really treasuring him for all that he is, will help you to overcome your worry, your anxiety, and even fear. You know, back in summer 2005, I mentioned earlier how I was just suffering from anxiety. You know, in hindsight, it was, it was pretty silly because God, of course, in the nick of time, right when my job was about to end, of course I got called to Silver Church in Texas before, actually for seven years before I came here. It's like, of course God showed up. Of course he took care of us. Of course we never missed a meal. We didn't go into debt. God was good to us. He took care of us. And I learned, you know, being anxious, it doesn't change anything. Trusting God does. It changes your heart. Maybe not your circumstances, but it will change your heart. And that's what matters anyway. Will you pray with me? Father, our heart's desire this morning is that we would be uplifted. We want to have hearts that are lifted so high that we are in your shadow. We want to have our souls uplifted, Father. We want to live lives where our emotions are healthy and that glorify you. Father, I thank you for your word that encourages us as much as it challenges us. May we be doers of your word and not simply hearers. I pray for whoever in this room is grappling with this truth, maybe someone who has never heard this gospel, this good news before. I pray now that he or she would repent of their sins, put the complete trust in you, and that you would save him or her today. Pray that you would do this, Father, for your glory and for our own good. We praise you, give you all the glory for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.